0: The Exton Moss Experiment Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss Episode 30 Absolutely Fabulous Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And tonight we are going to be looking at Absolutely Fabulous.
1: And we're looking at Absolutely Fabulous because I've slightly thrown my toys out of the pram a little bit because Ken wanted to look at black books, which is very, (laughs) very funny. But I'm being terribly politically correct and not wanting to um, publicize something that was written by somebody who has turned out to be a horrific transphobe. So for this reason, we will not be doing any of Graham Linehan's work, and we will not be doing any of Gareth Roberts' work for exactly the same reason in the Doctor Who stuff. There is, I think there's a couple of things that we've already recorded, an an IT crowd and a Black Books that we will release as part of a a sitcoms episode, but we're not going to record any new stuff. So because I've been a bit arsy about it, (laughs) we've decided to do another classic comedy, um, and we're doing absolutely fabulous.
0: Now, to smooth your troubled brow... Shall we do the tonic screwdriver first? Get the lid off the gin.
1: It's not troubled at all. I've had a rant. I have expressed my opinion of rampant bigotry and they can both go and do one. So, but gin is an excellent idea. What do we have in the tonic screwdriver?
0: Well, it's Beau Violet Gin.
1: One of my favorites. Oh, I'm steaming in straight it, away with Gretna a five
0: Bernards, five out of five Bernards on this. I love it. Always have.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Um, I first found this on a trip to Gretna Green. Um, it's been a real favorite since. They do a very nice bramble one as well. They do. And a peach and hibiscus, which sounds weird but is lovely. Not as nice as this. This is the. Uh, this is their best one. It's, it's smooth. It's got a bite to it. It. It's got a real strong taste of violets and I absolutely love the flavor of violets I'm a big fan of the fact that when there are sweetie bags at work then the violet the, the palm violets always get left to the end and I can go just go in and hoover them all up <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would be exactly the same now there are several types of violet gin there are violet gins and there are palmer violet gins this I would say errs on the side of the violet so if you like them it's sweet but it's not palmer violet sweet but I love it anyway
1: Yeah, J.J. Wickley do a Violet
0: one as well, which Mm. is very nice. Boys and girls, I can heartily recommend this. Chin chin. Yep. Down the pipe. And indeed down the stairs, because it's time to open the Black Archive.
1: What would you like to rescue in the Black Archive this week?
0: Retrieve from the vaults of lost television. Um, I'm going to go with something that actually does exist. It's um, not the first time I've done this. It's Doctor Who, The Awakening. There are several scenes from that. Uh, (laughs) Ah Um, yes, the duck face.
1: Will's entire acting is scratching a duck face. He does nothing else. Um. And once you've seen it, it kind of ruins the story. Because well, his presence there is pointless in any case. It's a good plot that is burdened by way too many characters. And Will does nothing, absolutely nothing to further the plot. I know there was talk about him becoming a a potential companion, and dear God, it hadn't been that long since Adric, and he's a worse actor than than Adric was.
0: (laughs) It's not actually Will's scenes that I'm concentrating on, it's the Lost Ones with Chameleon. Now Chameleon was a short-lived companion, he had an entrance story and an exit story, and that's about it. In between, there were a few scenes planned with him aboard the TARDIS, and one of them does exist. In the Awakening but it's not voiced by Gerald Flood and there's no real post production and it's a time-coded VHS so it's in terrible quality. That I would like to have seen properly. So only a snippet, another Doctor Who snippet that just intrigues me. What's your choice?
1: My choice is 199 Park Lane. It was a, a short-lived British soap opera that had in 1965 on BBC One, uh, ran for 18 episodes, none of them survive in the archive. Not a massive amount is known about it. There's a, a few publicity photos that look kind of intriguing. The reason I'm adding it is I remember my grandmother talking about it and saying she quite enjoyed it. And looking at the cast, it has Isabel Dean, so quite a massive alumnus. She was um, Victor Krum's wife in the first television. Oh,
0: the original? Podcast.
1: Yes. Excellent. Yes. Not, not the Brian Dun, Dunleavy stomp oh um Stompathon.
0: We've still got the second one of those to do.
1: Oh, it's worse than the first one. Oh. He, he's awful. He's beyond awful. But then then they rescue things with uh, Andrew Keir and that's all happy and smiley again. So. Um, and I have no doubt that Isabel Dean's appearance in this was completely unconnected to the fact that her husband was the uh, producer. Have we heard this
0: story before? Yes. another actress? In this
1: case, we talk about Isabel Dean, who is a um, good and capable actress, and with the other one, we were talking about Paula.
0: Not the telephone answering service. Hello. Paula here. Paula needs her own spin-off.
1: Which of the important characters would you like to talk to?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So with those rescued from the archive, we shall clamber back to the viewing room, and it's time for...
1: Absolutely Fabulous, which actually premiered 12th of November 1992, so over 25 years ago. First episode was Fashion, and it's the story of two two lifelong friends played by Joanna Lumley and Jennifer Saunders. Jennifer Saunders plays Adina Monsoon, who owns a public relations company that astoundingly, appears very successful, despite the fact that she is an abject failure at every aspect of her life. And Joanna Lumley plays Patsy Stone, who is an alcoholic, chain-smoking, man-chasing, former fashion model, who's now uh, part of the editorial department of a, a glossy fashion magazine. But actually, the two of them just spend their Spend an awful lot of their time stumbling around uh, around London, getting blind drunk to the horror of Eddie's daughter, Saffron, played by Julia noala huh? Oh, the the final two regulars: June Whitfield as Eddie's mother and Jane Horrocks as Eddie's assistant slash PA Bubble. Um, and they're they're both incredibly entertaining characters. So yes, I I haven't seen this in a lot of years. I've seen some of the later series. They first series of AppFab was a very special thing for me that i haven't seen in a long long time so i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing it again so we'll we'll crack on with the first couple of episodes that'll give a really good taste especially seeing as there's a guest star in the second one that i think you will get a bit of a kick out of
0: i see right well without further ado ron we'll v t on, on series one episode one fashion Right, well, we've just watched the first two episodes of Absolutely Fabulous, Fashion and Fat.
1: Um, So, what do you think?
0: I was never a major fan when it was on in the 90s. It was just one of those things that, it was there, my parents liked it, I watched it. I can't really say that it's warm to me as an adult. The best thing about it is everybody else, The, the one thing that grated on me was actually... Jennifer Saunders. The character's just too overblown. Everybody else, it's a really good ensemble cast. As you've said, June Whitfield, Julia, Sawala, Jane Horrocks, a handful of other people that you've heard of. It's just yeah, her like character it. is just too yeah. overblown.
1: All of the characters are pantomime. Mm-hmm. To to a large extent So they're needy and faddy And has been hanging on to the popular girl's Every word since she was at school Is a cliche um, In the same way as the popular girl Who looks pretty and is fun to be around But doesn't actually achieve an awful lot Or the... <laughs> Over, overachiever who's not particularly sociable or the overbearing mother that family think has no clue what's going on, but actually knows exactly what's going mm. on. They're all cliches. They're all caricatures. They're all done to a pantomime level with this. I think they all work well together. It's a, it's a sitcom, so you're not expecting reality.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think they're all, certainly the two major characters, um, Eddie and Patsy, are an equivalent level of pantomime. And you, you couldn't possibly take them seriously. But I think they they work to, together as a comedy double act. Each, I,
0: how do I describe this? The Joanna Lumley character, they're all believable characters in terms of the stereotypes. We've covered stereotypes before in the past, and this they all tick the boxes.
1: Yeah, and again, uh, as, as with many of the stereotypical things that we've talked about in the past, you couldn't make this today. Or you couldn't make this as a de novo today. You could do an AbFab reunion. But as a new sitcom, this couldn't be made today.
0: Oh, no, I'm intrigued by that. Go on. Why do you think?
1: I think there would be a problem with the amount of smoking and drinking that they do. I think there would be a problem with quite how vile they are to to some people. A lot of the the comments that they make, so in later episodes, there's a, there's a, a whole thing about adopting romanian orphans and bring me bring me a selection to choose and i don't <laughs> think that that would or or, or should be made today. so there's a lot of things that's product of its time
0: right interesting i, I my tolerance threshold's a little bit higher than your youth that you see things in a a much more contemporary fashion than i do i've not modernized my views <laughs>
1: Don't get me wrong. I I think this this still works. I think it's still funny. I just don't think it will be
0: made today. Mm. To be fair, I did like the characters and I like the setup and it's everything that I remember from the nineties. I just thought that the one actual weak link was the Jennifer Saunders character because it was so overblown. I got where they were going with it. It was basically taking the Mickey out of, um, as you say, the underachieving, but. Overpaid and the ridiculous lifestyles, and they like to pretend that they're contributing huge amounts to the world when, in actual fact, they're doing bugger all of any value. They just happen to have money. I, it's just, if just Jennifer Saunders had dialed it back a little bit, I think I would have found it less annoying because none of the other characters, even Patsy Stone, her character, I think, not just because it's played by Joanna Lumley, but I just think that that was less overblown.
1: There, there is that, because Joanna Lumley is an actress, whereas Jennifer Saunders is a comedian. Um, and this gets back to the whole Doctor Who, Donna thing. Mm. Um, and to a lesser extent, Doctor Who, Mel thing. If, you, if you're if wanting somebody to play the part of a, a well-rounded individual, then what you want is an actor. What you don't want is a comedian, because a comedian will caricature it. It's part of their job. I mean, you know what I think about Donna as a Doctor Who companion.
0: She's... <laughs> It's been covered once or twice, yeah.
1: Yeah. 99% of the time, it's absolutely brilliant. And so that's down to the writing. And it's down to the fact that Donna is a very wart and all, very overblown personality. And that works really well until there needs to be a level of subtlety. Mm. And Catherine Tate doesn't have the acting jobs to. D- to make that subtlety work. I actually feel exactly the same way about Patrick McGowan in The, in the Prisoner, and I know we haven't covered that yet. Mm. Um, he's really, really good at the at the stoic thing, which is what 99% of the portrayal of Number Six needs. But any time that it needs any kind of emotional depth, he's not able to deliver that.
0: The Prisoner we really Sadly. should cover, because that mangled my brain when I saw it first.
1: What we should do is we should do The, the Prisoner, the 60s version, and the remake Because the remake really polarizes people. And people who love the 60s one tend to think that the 90s one is awful. I don't love the 60s one. I think it's a good piece of television. I think it's a very good insight into the television in the 1960s. But I don't think it's the greatest thing that that was ever made. The 2000s, or, or whenever it was, remake, I think is an interesting piece of television that tells a very similar story from a completely different perspective. I don't think it's brilliant, I don't hate it either, but when we come on to do The Prisoner, I think we, sh- we should do both, even though the remake is American, and I am sorry about that.
0: I didn't but even getting, know there getting, was getting an back, American back.
1: remake. Yeah, it's got, oh, who do they have? Dee um, as McKellen is the, in the, the number two role. I can't remember who's the uh, who's number six in the I don't think it's an American, but I, I, I can't remember who it is. Ian McKellen is the, the standout from, from my recollection. But it
0: Was that Leo McKern in the original?
1: Um, it was pretty much a different – number two was basically the the one who was in charge, and you didn't find out who uh, number one in the village was until the last episode. Right. Um, Leo McKern was one of them. Uh, Mary Morris was another. Peter Wingard was another. There was pretty much a different one every episode. right. Because it was basically their job to try and break number six. And when they didn't manage it in whatever the plot that they had in that episode was, and it goes on to the next episode and the next number two and the next plot. Yeah, we, we should do The Prisoner. It, it's a very good TV series. It's a really interesting look at 1960s um, attitudes and the kind of talking about stuff that wouldn't get made today. The Prisoner, as a de novo thing, absolutely would not get made today any more than The Corridor people would get made today.
0: Hmm.
1: But again, we're segueing wildly. Just a little. Back to AbFab. Did you notice who was the guest star in the second episode?
0: Only because she pointed Bors. it out. It was uh, Alexandra Bastido he, from It was Champions. Sharon McCready yes. herself. And I didn't recognise her. And I'm ashamed of myself. I had to go back and have a look.
1: Well, that clearly just means that we
0: haven't watched enough Champions. I think it does because the most immaculate woman ever forged and i didn't recognize her i'm ashamed
1: the most immaculate woman not the first romana
0: you're drifting into dangerous territory <laughs>
1: Are we going to start talking drag? <laughs> no,
0: queens? no, 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 no! I refuse to let you do um, this.
1: Well, actually, we, we kind of are. because going back to absolutely fabulous. Um, Patsy Stone is the inspiration for an was the inspiration for an awful lot of drag queens at the time. Really? And you? Oh God! Yeah, that that whole when I when I talk about resting bitch face, that's Patsy, Patsy Stone. When I talk about the whole overblown, overdressed femininity, that's Patsy Stone. I think Joanna Lumley is on record as saying she played Patsy as a drag queen.
0: Right.
1: And certainly in a later episode where Safi does a play for her college based on her life, um, (laughs) then the person that they get to play Patsy is a drag queen. And Patsy absolutely loves it. The one that they get to play... Adina. Adina is not keen on it at all, um, but Patsy loves the fact that she's being played by
0: a drag queen. I did see, bizarrely, I went to see the film when that came out. That's about three four oh, years I'm ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, so am it was
1: And actually, uh, I don't think the later series were particularly good. I can't think of a, a comedy series that has reinvented itself and still worked. They tried that with the Liverbirds and it didn't work. And they tried that with Alf Garnet and it didn't work.
0: Life did he say that?
1: The Likely Lads kind of worked. I mean, that whatever happened to Likely Lads was, it was a 70s thing. And I think it was less than a decade after the original Likely Lads. And to be honest, both of those are ones that I, I look back as historical TV shows anyway. So mm. I, I don't actually know how well that worked at the time. The sequel to, oh, what's the bloody thing? Uh, Techno Department Store. Are You Being Served? The sequel to Are You Being Served, uh, Grace and Faber, oh, that mm. didn't work particularly well. So I can't really think of a, uh, a sitcom that's been revisited and worked successfully. I don't, I, I don't think any of the revisits to Abfab have worked. The first three years were all of a, of a pretty consistent standard. Revisits haven't really hit the box. And I think within three or four months of the, uh, the film being released, then Jennifer Saunders went on record and saying, the story of Ab is now finished.
0: You've got me thinking there. I feel like there's something niggling. Alphita Lopez the, really the, counts the a sitcom. sitcom agony. No, I, she, I don't know that uh, one.
1: She she played an Agony and it was a a sitcom in the seventies and it was revised, I think, in the nineties as Agony again. And it was never to top tier in the in the seventies. It wasn't top tier in the nineties, but it was consistently good across all of the series. And actually, Agony was one of the first shows on british television to uh, have a gay couple as a as regular characters
0: there was still game that was quite good when it came back Um, and red dwarf actually i never
1: i I never liked still game i've only been introduced
0: to that recently and i actually think that the later ones are better than the earlier ones
1: Oh, right, because I've only seen the first season. My sister's a massive fan. I I never got on with it.
0: Yeah, I I stuck with it right the way through to the end, and I'm glad I did. That was was really worth my time. Um, But Red Dwarf, that was resurrected about 10 years ago by Dave with a fairly ropey three-part special, and then they've done three series after that, and they've been on form.
1: um, I've only seen a few of them. My impression was that it was a bit patchy but red Red dwarf was one of those it didn't start off particularly well first season of of red dwarf isn't brilliant it it grows into brilliance in in its sort of mid seasons and then when they bring back Kachansky as a regular character it really loses the plot oh that was dreadful those where when they got a really decent budget to work with and they brought in a whole load of other characters and much bigger budget sets it didn't work. It worked really well as a, a four-hander. as a what four hander, five hander, I
0: suppose. Yeah. Uh, now you um, see, I, I understand in Red Dwarf circles that there's those who are really fond of the first two series, and I have to admit that I fall into that category. I love it. It becomes something quite yeah. different from series three onwards when Crichton gets introduced. They start going off the ship.
1: But you're looking back at it as a historical thing, so you're you're looking at all of it as Me. as kind of a bulk watch because I I doubt you would have been watching the first series as it was broadcast.
0: I don't remember doing no.
1: Yeah, I did, and I remember watching the first bro- first series that was broadcast. I'm thinking, yeah, and it it's okay, but it's no Star Cops because I, I think they were pretty much round about the same time. I, I, my recollection is that they were both sort of mid to late eighties.
0: Late 88, I think, the first series went out. Yeah, and I
1: think Star Star Cops was round about the same time. And at the time, there was very, very little British TV science fiction that was going out. So those two I kind of compare in my head. And first season, Red Dwarf and Star Cops, I would much rather watch Star Cops. Now, Red Dwarf turned into something that was brilliant. And the the whole sort of Mr. Flibble episodes and that that kind of thing is absolutely (laughs) side-splitting. And, oh, we should do Red Dwarf, Red Dwarf at some point. Um, but it wasn't really the way that it started. In the same way as Blackadder, the first series is very, very different to all the, all the remaining series, and the pilot even more so. I do like the first series of Blackadder, and I know that there's a lot of to de- almost denial of the first series in Blackadder fan circles because his character is so different to the way that it was in the remaining series. And it, he was the the idiot character that then later came on to be percy and george and 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 all of that blackadder himself was more the butt of people's jokes rather than being the downtrodden but intelligent servant which is how he worked really well but i I still think it it's very good and you you've got to give it props for having peter cook in
0: well to be honest i've just rewatched that series this week it's been on in the background i personally i'm not a massive fan of that first series of blackadder i've really really tried to love it over the years they've spent the money on it they've got the guest cast his portrayal is just so far what a waste of a character uh, which is then rectified in the second third and fourth series etc
1: you see i don't think that way but i remember watching blackadder first series first time around and thinking yeah this is really good and then when the second series came along it's it, this is fantastic, but it doesn't alter the fact that I still think the first series is really good. I have um, seen
0: snippets of the pilot episode of Blackadder. and I've got a copy
1: of it. We'll have to watch it sometime.
0: Well, you've done me a copy of it. We, there is an avi somewhere. Uh, but I have read a review. I've just been having a bit of a Blackadder week. And I read a review somewhere. I think it was a Guardian or a Telegraph review saying, it's, this is an example of getting it right first time. And then they ditched all that and made the first series. And I can't quite understand the, the characterisation in the pilot is much more akin to what we recognise as Blackadder. So we must do that at some point. Yeah, yeah, but can easily do that. Add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> the ever-growing list. What
1: I would want to do, if we're going to do Blackadder, I'd actually want us to do an episode on that Blackadder in its entirety. Oh, happily. Even that god-awful Christmas special with Nicola Bryant. Oh, I love that.
0: Yeah, we'll have to do the oh, whole canon. Is,
1: is this another one of your i start my Christmas watching in July because I've got so much to get through list?
0: Yeah, Blackadder Christmas Carol I've got on CD, so that gets listened to in the kitchen. It, it is on the list, but I spend a lot of time in the kitchen in December. No, oh, who am I kidding? Only around.
1: Now, the, the amount of stuff that you get through, through <laughs> Christmas, uh, honestly, you you must start watching stuff in... Day after Halloween or something. I'm I'm surprised you're not already watching your Christmas list.
0: No, not yet. Well into December before I start my Christmas. I'll let you know. So anyway, dragging it back well, a little. So again,
1: we're 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 segueing a long way from from AB Fab. So not not a massive hit for you.
0: No, but then again, it never was. um I think my mum and dad liked it because they'd grown up. Well, well, they. They were fans of things like the comic strip and the young ones and things like that. And none of that really appealed to me. It was again, too slapstick. And this is for me, a sort of continuation of that.
1: Yeah, to be fair, there, there are fairly big chunks of slapstick in, in ABFAB. And there's a lot of falls and like um when she's she's getting back drunk in the, in the first episode and Safi's waiting on the doorstep and she, she falls down the side of the house I quite like the way that they do the nods back to the past and the the harks back to the 60s and the 70s and all of that shot through the soft focus that would have made Barbara Bain very jealous. <laughs> I quite like the way that that worked. Abfab Fab for me, I had, I haven't seen the first series of Abfab Fab in years and probably wouldn't have put it forward as something for us to watch if it hadn't been for the fact that i wasn't going to watch anything by transphobic fuckwit. Um hmm. yeah, that's not going to change. You watch what you like, but I won't be. Uh but we we've had we've had this conversation yeah, once or twice. Um, so, AbFab at, at for me, um the, the first series was 92 and in 92 I was living down in Dorset. I was actually working with Andy from around the archives.
0: Ah. Poole.
1: Pool, pool was the factory that worked and actually I I was living in Poole at the time. I was early 20s, I was still getting my head around my sexuality and not doing a particularly good job of it. In part, that was down to not really fitting in with the, the gay scene. And I was, at that time, and still am, I was a, a big fan of bands like Iron Maiden and sharing a, a house with somebody who was a, a really big rockhead. Very good friend of mine, Alex, that I'm, I'm still in reasonably regular contact with. And I used to go out to a local gay bar on a Friday night and get completely ignored because I didn't look the part and I didn't look like I'd just stepped out of an erasure video. I used to go out with Alex and my other mates on a Saturday night and have a fantastic time. So there was an awful lot of sort of conflict. And so on one side, I had the this is the direction my hormones point in. But actually, everybody in, in that environment wants absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with me and makes that very clear. Whereas, go out with my other mates and have a great night. And no ch- no chance of a shag at the end of it. But actually, neither night out there was a chance of a shag at the end of it. Um, and one of, them, one of them actually got to listen to music I liked and be reasonably sociable. So that was kind of the, the situation. And then AbFab came along and... Oh, for somebody, I'd I got talking to somebody because I, I watched the first episode and absolutely loved it. And actually, in no small part, due to the fact that my mother kind of looks like Patsy. And <laughs> at that point, I had never seen her set foot out of the house without a massive blonde beehive. And actually, most of the time now, she still has a massive blonde beehive when she goes out the house. Actually, in Patsy, there was an element of familiarity in terms of this is kind of like the way things were at home. My mum likes to drink and all. Um, Excellent. I still can't believe
0: I've not met her yet. Really? No, I haven't met your mum yet.
1: So the only member of my family you've met is my sister? Yes. And you've only only met her on the showing of Rose. um, 14 years ago, yeah. uh, Yeah, I don't think you've met her since. Nope. She's the reason we know each other, because you were trying to hit on her.
0: So you say... Sorry, so, Sam. so you
1: were. Uh, Terribly sorry. I, I may have had a pint or two that night, but I'm, I'm, I'm not actually blind.
0: I have very high standards, so it must say something about Sam.
1: Oh, my sister's lovely looking. And she's a redhead, so...
0: Oh, dear. Anyway, so yes. Right, so
1: dragging, dragging it back away from hormones 15 years ago to mm-hmm. hormones 25 years ago. I can't remember how I got chatting to, to somebody. Yes, I can. I was in a, I was in a bookshop. And I was talking to a friend uh, about how I really enjoyed HabFab. And she was saying, oh, it wasn't really my cup of tea. And there, there was this bloke who was, he, he was nearby who was saying, I thought it was fantastic. And we, he and I ended up chatting away. And he introduced me to a gay youth group that he was peripherally involved involved with. And that, that was the first point at which I started getting some level of acceptance So historically, ABFAB is a very important thing for me. And I'd actually forgotten quite how important until I I watched this and watching it as a TV series. But I was always also sort of projected back to the way things were and the way that my, my mind was at that point. And it, it, was, it was a very odd dichotomy because there were some bits of my life and, and friendships and everything that were absolutely wonderful and some bits that were really a bit shit. The other thing to bear in mind is that at that point, it was around the, uh, the whole Section 28 Iceberg campaign, massive thing about HIV and AIDS with no particularly effective treatment. So all of that was up in the air. And the factory that I worked at I still wasn't out at work when I left the factory, kind of officially. Most people knew, but it, it, it wasn't really discussed. Late 80s and early 90s, when I was working there, the local paper used to, on a thir- on their Thursday edition, would have a special column for all the people who'd been done for sexual offences basically been arrested and charged for being gay.
0: And Even in the, the early the, 90s?
1: Yeah. And the, the the local paper would print names and addresses of all of these people. People very regularly used to lose their job as a consequence of of that. They have to bear in mind 1967, there was um, decriminalization and we, we talked about that when we did man in an orange shirt, Mm. but it was only partial decriminalization. The, uh, the age of consent dropped to 21 for consenting adults in the privacy of their own home. So anybody doing anything in public or that could be perceived to be in public, i.e., outside their own home. And that, that included hotels. So there were were quite a lot of cases of people who were reported by hotel proprietors and were arrested and charged. And bear in mind, if you got found guilty of um, offences against the the 1967 Act, then your name was on the sex sex offenders register and would still be on the sex offenders register. I know there's talk about getting historical prosecutions quashed, but I, I, I don't think that's happened just yet. Um, hopefully it will do. I mean, again, we're talking 25, 30 years ago. I knew people who would be sort of two teenagers who would both be charged for being um, under 21. And the age of consent didn't drop to 18 until I was living in Newcastle. That would have been 94. And that was a huge, huge deal because what it did in one fell swoop was decriminalize the entire university population. Because before then, you go to university at 18, three-year degree, come out at 21, your entire time at university, it was illegal to be gay or to be gay and do anything about it. So around about this time, there was an awful lot of stuff that was being worked on. So the stuff that was still really quite bad and nothing at all to, on the scale of what people a generation before had had to, uh, to put up with. And they didn't have to deal with anything that the people a generation before had had to put up. So that there had been steps, but you know, as a... As a teenager, you don't think too much about what's gone on before. You think about what your life is like at the time. And I mean, when I was a teenager in in Dorset, I used to volunteer at the local um, AIDS hospice, and you'd see these people in their twenties and thirties, not very much older than than I was, with a disease that you couldn't treat, and was killing them. All in all, there were bits of that time that weren't great, and. AbFab kind of reminds me of that. The other thing that I really noticed in in AbFab, anything from that era, the amount of smoking really flags up these days. It's rare that you see somebody smoking in uh, in a modern TV series. And if you do, it's either to demonstrate the fact that they are massively overworked usually as some sort of uh, emergency services professional or a bit evil but at this point it was absolutely normalized it was before there was the smoking ban in pubs i i can remember going to, to a night in the pub coming in and kind of getting stripped just after you got in, just through the front door, because clothes absolutely reeked of smoke. I oh, and frequently having smoke. a shower
0: at two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, so I remember those good old days yeah. myself.
1: One of the shared houses I was in that had a little sort of it was a uh, an old fashioned terrace house and it had that little porch thing. And my house, housemates and I used to I uh, used to come in from a night out and would uh, strip our clothes uh, off down to underwear in the porch so that we could go in, and the house itself didn't didn't reek of smoke, and there were come back the next morning and the porch would absolutely stink and we'd we'd wash all our clothes so it's that really screams out the, uh, the era that it's from the other thing that i've really noticed is appreciate it's part of the humor but the sheer amount that they drink
0: there's a small amount of drinking goes on tiny tiny bit
1: no that are like the entire like. time had, has kind of got me to thinking, yeah, and with my with my job at the moment, um, and particularly the the last job that I did when I was working in general medicine, we saw a lot of people with the end effects of of alcohol and alcohol dependence, alcohol withdrawal, and just how damaging that can can be. So I I think leading on from that is quite a good time for a little bit of an Exton Moss confession. I think we should mention that when we do our uh, our gin reviews we're generally working from tasters and it would be one, one and a half units per drink. So we're not quite caning it as much as we, <laughs> we may sound like we do, with the exception of the radiation episode. The radiation antidote um,
0: episode, yes, we were.
1: The, the, radi- the radiation episode was traumatic and required a few extra drinks to get through. That brings up and sort of harks back to the, the times that I was talking about when I was in Dorset, is that an awful lot of people then and now Use alcohol as a crutch and as a as a way of sort of blotting things out, making things easier to cope with, dealing with social anxiety, other other forms of anxiety, and certainly at that point in my life, I was using alcohol as for, for exactly that and and to deal with things in my life that I, I didn't particularly want to have to deal with. We've all so, done that surely the,
0: the, at some point.
1: Yeah, so the, this is taken all taken quite a a serious turn, but um, abfab. Is, is very much a reminder of a, a specific time in my life. and Lots of which was very good, and lots of which kind of wasn't.
0: One of the things I was going to ask, and I'm speaking from a position of ignorance here, I've never really gotten why the whole drag queen, female impersonator, this sort of overblown pantomime, Patsy Adina character appeals to the gay community so much. I'm missing something huge, I'm sure, but I don't know what it is. I've never understood.
1: There has always been, going back to the the time of Shakespeare and coming through the whole pantomime thing, the theatrical... Man dressing up as a woman, and obviously being a man dressing up as a, a woman thing in in Shakespeare, it's because there was no such thing as a uh, as an actress. Everybody would, was an actor, and the the younger lads dressed up as the the girls to play the the, the female parts, and then you carry on carrying through, and you've got your comedy dames in your your pantomime thing. But that's entertainment, and there's always been drag queens in entertainment going back to, through Lily Savage, Danny LaRue, there are probably ones dating back before then certainly there there were people in, in in the Victorian era on what's the word I'm not Oh they, there for were it. certainly people in the in the Victorian era in the music halls who were drag queens and obviously drag queens so as a comedic performance it or it's been there for a long 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 time now in England and America in the sort of 50s 60s just as acceptance was starting to to come through when we had our decriminalization in 1967, it was uh, 69 with the Stonewall riots in America. But before then, all of the sort of sexual minorities tended to band together. So you would have the gays and the lesbians and the transvestites and the the transgendered community. And because they were were all being sort of ostracized by, quote, normal society, then they tended to band together Um, and actually the people who started the Stonewall riots in America that kicked off the that whole gay civil rights movement over there were the drag queens because um, there were there were regular raids of the uh, of the bars and there was a legal statute that you had to be wearing three pieces of gender-appropriate clothing and so the transvestites the drag queens the transgendered people during a police raid, were stripped to demonstrate that they were wearing their their gender-appropriate clothing. Right. And if they weren't, they were arrested. So it has been a it, it was a sort of flocking together as almost mutual protection and support. And you've got your, your drag queens who are going on to that bar, who are performers anyway, then they will perform in that bar. I think that's a chunk of where the association comes from. Now, I, I'm, I'm not in any way an expert in this aspect of history but that's my understanding of how things came through and you you see it now in possibly more old-fashioned gay gay bars that you go to that have drag queen djs
0: strange to realize i don't go in many of those Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you were the one that
1: was banging on about canal street
0: yes i went on an adventure with a group of mates and we found ourselves on canal street and it was quite an eye-opener not in that way
1: I didn't say a word
0: (laughs) I didn't really need to and
1: actually when Queer as Folk came along for me it made a huge difference because prior to that going out to gay bars with straight friends was always an issue Was it? And I remember oh god yeah 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 particularly straight women I had a very very dear friend that I used to hang around with when I was down in Dorset and she was one of the Saturday night crowd that I used to hang about with and one of the, one of the gay clubs there had a a regular bank holiday Sunday night thing that, did, that was very popular and loads of people going going along to. And she she was saying to me, "Look, that's a part of your life that I would like to know more about because I don't know anything about it." Why don't I come along to this bank holiday thing? And so, well, fair enough, if you, if you fancy. We, and we went along, and we were having, having a great time, and I was getting ignored, as we normally did. And I remember some bloke coming up to her. It would have been about, had to it, but about the same time as uh, as Abfab. Um, and Alison was lovely. She would not have said boo to a goose. She was, she was, and, and is, a, a completely lovely, sweetheart of a woman. Um, and he just walked up to her, stared her in, in her face about two inches away, and just said, you shouldn't be here fucking fish and then just walked off and that was one of the most ignorant things i've ever seen it was just appalling and she was really really upset and at that point we left which i guess was the the point after queer as folk there was a lot of normalization and it was seen to be not as bad a thing as, as, as people thought and you got a lot of straight people coming to the gay bars now i th- personally think that that is brilliant because it's it's normalizing things. It is bringing communities together. Now, you get a lot of, at the time, you got a lot of more the more old-fashioned gay blokes who said, it's ruined Canal Street. It's ruined Old Compton Street. You've got all of these straights coming in and, and ruining it. They weren't ruining anything. They were coming along. They were supporting their friends. They were normalizing the whole situation. And there was a lot of, from the older crowd, sort of hankering on to the past as... Almost a, a kind of um, bunker mentality, uh, the, the world's against us, so we huddle down in our little group, hmm. which I cannot completely understand how a few years beforehand they would have needed to do. But Queer as Folk was very much a moving with the times. Uh, and and I think we mentioned on on one of your uh, on one of our um, previous episodes, a friend of yours who said that uh, Queer as Folk had ruined Canal Street.
0: It was David. Uh, He's no longer with us. He he. But he was. Uh, I mean, he wasn't particularly. He was only thirty two when he died. But he did say that Queer as Folk changed Canal Street massively because yeah, he, uh, I think sure you it did. Termed it I, as queer I don't think it, it But I think there were other factors involved as well, which. I, I seem to remember at the time he said that you get a lot of straight women coming in, touching up the gay men. They didn't like it, but it was just seen as a bit of a laugh. So I think there was that aspect of it.
1: Oh, yeah, but you get that anywhere. And you know what? You'll get gay fellas touching up people's asses. And if you made a fuss, it was just, oh, well, it, it it's a bit of a laugh and you need you need to loosen up. People in general at that, that time would get a bit of a drink on and they would uh, they would lose some of their social boundaries and that happens less now but I, i i don't think there was any particular gender divide to it i don't think there was any particular sexuality divide to it i think it was just people being a bit leery when they're drunk and people on the the gay scene who were used to socializing pretty much exclusively with gay people having their horizons opened a bit
0: yeah none of it ever bothered me. Um I have been happily touched up over the years. I don't find it offensive, whether it's um, in whatever context, but some people do.
1: with a, with a, a modern lens it's it's really not appropriate. Um, it's it's technically assault. Um, I think you can go a little bit too far down that line. but equally. You should be respectful of other people's feelings uh, on the matter. what I'm looking for. You should be respectful of other other people's bodies, and it's not appropriate to to just be randomly touching people up.
0: No, fully agree. Dragging it back just a little.
1: It's actually, before we drag it back to to ABFAB, what I I did want to say is that uh, it started talking about how alcohol is such a big part of ABFAB and is used by a lot of people as a as a social crutch, um, as a a big part of their life. It's also something that I've seen quite a lot in my work, and particularly my my previous work. And I'm just wondering whether, as something educational, and I know it's a a distance away from the very lighthearted stuff we try to do here, but whether I just do a few minutes on the medical effects of alcohol as a, a little educational thing. And we, we can tack this on as, a, as an addendum so it doesn't interfere with the episode.
0: Fire away. Let's hear about alcohol. We spend enough time talking about it.
1: An awful lot of people, particularly when they're dealing with a difficult time in their life or they're coming to terms with difficult decisions, will use alcohol as a psychological crutch. We've all been there. It's understandable, and a lot of us have done it. But it's also important to know that there, there
0: is a time to stop and on that uncharacteristically downbeat note, I will sign us off.
1: Yeah, the, this episode has been more rambly than normal. It it has touched some issues, actually.
0: Um, has it been cathartic for you? Abfab, has it dredged up a lot of memories, good and bad?
1: I wouldn't say actively cathartic because this is all stuff that I dealt with an awful lot of years ago. It's certainly there's certainly a lot of recollections, and actually, I have very fond memories of the house and environment that I lived in at that that time. But that actually really thinking back to it there, there was some stuff that I, I don't have fond memories of so i wouldn't say it's actually been cathartic but it, it, it's certainly been interesting and nostalgic we aim so, for
0: nostalgia yes
1: yeah, so we, we'll sign off here with the with the next episode we'll be back to our normal talking bollocks selves
0: <laughs> thank you very much for listening everyone stick around after the credits for simon's addendum and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode goodbye now the Exton Moss experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at experiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.
1: Hi, this is Future Simon, and I hope you enjoyed our episode on Absolutely Fabulous. Now, as I promised when we were discussing things, um, I'm going to pop my doctor's hat on and talk a little bit about the things that I see involving alcohol during my day job when I work in the hospital, and also give you a little bit of background about their. Chemistry and how how of alcohol how the body reacts to it that kind of thing. So alcohol or ethanol is a substance that's made when sugar is broken down by yeasts and there's no oxygen around. It's poisonous and too much of it will be very hazardous to your health. Too much of it can actually kill you. And it's absorbed through the gastrointestinal tract. So when you take an alcoholic drink. Absorption starts in the stomach, and then when it passes through into the next bit of the gastrointestinal tract, which is the the small bowel, particularly the duodenum, then that absorption of alcohol becomes much more effective. The first thing that alcohol hits when it's absorbed is the liver, and that does its level best to to try and break the alcohol down. And there are a number of bits of our biochemistry that do that. The first stage is a an enzyme, which is a working chemical inside the the body. And this one's called alcohol dehydrogenase, and that turns the ethanol into a chemical called acetaldehyde. Now, acetaldehyde is much more destructive and toxic than ethanol itself, and that is broken down into a substance called acetate. Acetate then moves out, out of the liver into the normal bloodstream, and lots of different tissues around the body will break it down, turn it into fatty acids, carbon dioxide and acetate can be used to to run your metabolic processes in the same way that sugars or alcohol itself can be used. The normal human liver is capable of denaturing and breaking down about 8 grams of alcohol in one hour. And because of this, we measure the amount of alcohol in drinks in terms of alcohol units. And one unit is eight grams of alcohol. So you would expect to be able to break down one unit in an hour. Now, this is equivalent to about a 25 milliliter measure of a spirit, about half a pint of beer or a small glass of wine. In that eight grams of alcohol, there are 230 calories. So if you're having a double shot of something, even if you don't have any mixer in there or you have very low calorie mixer, you're still looking at nearly 500 calories for that drink. Now, as I said, the, uh, the alcohol is absorbed more slowly through the, the stomach than it is through the duodenum. And the stomach itself has a small amount of alcohol de- dehydrogenase, the, um, the chemical in the body that breaks down alcohol within its walls. So as soon as, you, as soon as you take a drink, then your body is starting to break it down. If you have a uh, heavy meal, and particularly a fatty meal, so something like a a fry-up or pizza, before you have an alcoholic drink, that fat will slow the the emptying of the stomach. It slows how quickly you absorb the alcohol. It gives the the stomach more time to to make a start on breaking down the alcohol. And you get less intoxicated. You get less drunk. Long-term alcohol can have a number of bad effects on the body because of this the medical profession recommends that you shouldn't be uh, regularly taking more than 14 units of alcohol a week and if you are taking those 14 units then they should be spread out ideally over at least three days. I would also recommend that you have some drink-free periods during the week over long term, alcohol can make you deficient in one of the B vitamins, um, particularly one called thiamine, and this can have an effect on your nerves and effect on your heart. Alcohol can directly damage the liver if you if you take a lot of it, and ultimately this ends up with a liver that gets a lot of fat laid down in it, so it gets big, can be quite sore and then will shrink back as the the liver tissue itself dies. Alcohol will also affect pretty much every cell in the body by making it more resistant to insulin. And insulin resistance is the the key feature of type 2 diabetes. So there are a lot of long-term effects that alcohol can have, unlike things like smoking that affect affect the lungs. The systems that alcohol affects, particularly the the liver and the, the insulin system, are potentially reversible as long as the damage is not too far gone. So if somebody has a problem with alcohol and they stop drinking, unless it's got to the point of permanent damage, the liver can recover itself. The the body's insulin detectors on the outside of cells can recover. Whereas with smoking, damage to the lung is permanent damage. If somebody drinks for a long time, the condition that we call alcohol dependence, a lot of this is psychological. In that you get into a habit, we tend to drink because we like the, um, the feeling that alcohol gives us. And some people will want to have that feeling every day. Your body will get used to that alcohol coming in. It will increase its amount of, of enzymes that, uh, that work to, to get rid of it. And eventually, the body will come to need that alcohol. And if you suddenly stop, then you can get to feel very unwell. We call that alcohol withdrawal. It tends to happen over, of course, for about five days to a week. And two or three days in is when you start to feel really bad, you get very anxious, shaky, sweaty, feel your heart pounding in your chest. In really bad cases, you can start to hallucinate. Um, People talk about pink elephants and things like that. That is a hallucination, something they're seeing that isn't really there. And the worst case at at this point is that you can start to get seizures, almost like epileptic seizures. And if you don't get medical help at that point, this can be fatal. So when people are going through this kind of detox process, we generally do it in hospital and we do it with medication support. Um, And it's medication of the um, benzodiazepine type. So these are things like Valium. I hope that that little overview is of interest. I hope it's taught you things that you you find interesting. Ken and I have been talking since this episode, and in my day-to-day job, I see a lot of patients with a lot of different medical conditions. And the thing that people always want is information about about these conditions, Um, whether it's something they're suffering from themselves, whether it's something that friends, family, um, loved ones are suffering from. And so we're going to set up another podcast to try and remedy that to a small extent. So I'm going to do 10 to 15 minute small episodes looking at common medical conditions or things that aren't really discussed very much and just looking at them from a, a fairly basic medical perspective. It's not going to be intended to help anybody diagnose problems that they've got. It's purely going to be for interest And it's going to take the the same kind of format as this little addendum. A basic introduction in plain English to common stuff or interesting stuff. So we're going to talk about conditions like asthma, diabetes, epilepsy. We're also going to talk about more unusual things like tattoos. And we'll be be able to put these out as a separate podcast about once a fortnight. We'll let you know that that happens, but because there's going to be none of the the deafness that we do here, then we're going to keep it as a a separate thing. I hope some of you will will find it interesting. I hope some of you will tune in and at least have a listen to the first couple and see if it's something for you. And if there's anything that you you would like us to talk about, then please just get in touch through the normal socials. Okay, um, I hope you found this interesting. Bye now.